Good morning. Today's reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I invite you to please pray with me. Father, um, thank you for your word this morning to us. Uh, thank you for, for giving us a message um, that, that seems so unbelievable, um, and yet it is believable. Um, something that is so impossible, this command here to rejoice always. Father, we, we thank you that you give it to us and that you make it possible. So I pray that you would show us how this morning. I pray that we would learn how to rejoice always. You would press that on our hearts and minds. Help us, Father. Amen. So, um, towards Christmas, right? We're almost there. <laughs> close, close. But some of us approach Christmas with anxiety. Um, some of us get closer and closer, and, and, and you feel just more weight when Christmas happens each year. Uh, maybe you're overwhelmed with how much work you have to do before the holiday begins, um, before the break happens. Uh, you have just too many deadlines to, to complete, and you don't know how it's going to be possible for you to do that. How am I going to make it to Christmas this year? Um, or you might have what feels like endless shopping lists for presents and grocery shopping, and it just keeps piling up, and you're going, oh, I forgot the wrapping paper, and I forgot this, and I forgot that, right? Um, oh, I didn't get a gift for, you know, and the list just keeps piling up. And so more and more anxiety seems to be upon you, and and it feels endless. I know for, for single moms and, and single parents, uh, this, this time of year can just, it can feel like a greater burden, right? You have to pick up another job um, to make it all work, to make it all fit together. Um, or you're anxious because this time of year uh, might bring back painful memories of law, uh, loved ones who are not going to be home for Christmas this year. It's not even possible. And so, for you, it feels like it's another blue, blue Christmas this year. Um, and so, there's, there's just a heaviness sometimes for people. It's not always bright and jolly, and you can't just jiggle the fat on the belly. And, you know, it's like, I don't have that. I just don't, I don't feel it this year. So, if that describes you, if, if, if you're anxious today, um, Advent is a really wonderful season uh, for, for those who are brokenhearted, um, for those who are anxious. Advent's a time for us to find hope and faith in the middle of our anxieties. 
Advent's a time to refuse to let anxiety have its way with us. Advent is a time to refuse to let our hearts, uh, our, our, our fears that, that, that creeps into, into the heart deep, and our, and our pain that, that keep us from embracing the light and the warmth of Christmas morning. So for this uh, third Sunday in Advent, we, we hear from, from Paul's letter to the Philippians where he calls them to something uh, that if you're like me, it, it just sounds impossible. Rejoice always, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Easy for you to say, Paul. You're like a super Christian, <laughs> you know. What about me? I'm just a Christian. <laughs> or I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian. What about me? Um, I can't have joy when I'm dealing with this. You haven't been there, Paul. Or I can't have joy when I'm feeling like I do. You don't know what I feel like, Paul. And as much as I really want to write Paul off here when we read this, as some like pie-in-the-sky theologian, right, who's just way out there with some weird theory that doesn't make sense in practice, or, or he's an overly pious Christian, or he's somebody who's singing about a red-nosed reindeer or Frosty the Snowman, when there are real problems around us in this world, right, this Christmas, you're going, man, I, Paul, what, why, what are you saying? But right when we want to cast him out and cast this, this sentimental verse out and toss it, Paul won't allow us to do that because his life and his circumstances reflect a man who understood how to rejoice in all circumstances. So we can't write him off or these words that he says. He wrote this while he was in prison. He wrote this, uh, he and another missionary were preaching the gospel in a city called Philippi. And, and they, were, they were missionaries there and they're preaching. And while they were there, they were uh, unjustly stripped naked. And they were locked up, thrown in the brig. Um, it was a mob that actually beat them with rods or sticks, some kind of weapon of sorts, to, and then threw them in. Uh, and the government officials put them in, in jail. And, and when they were inside of the walls of captivity, he and Silas, they, they did something crazy. They joyfully sang hymns to God. And they prayed in the middle of the night. And in that, in that time, of, uh, I mean, that, that's, that was our posture. They were praying when they had every reason to be anxious. And it actually led to an, a gospel door opening where um, the jailer, right, of their, of their prison cell ended up asking, hey, what can I do to be saved? <laughs> so, I mean, pretty remarkable. I mean, this is, this is someone who understood what it's like to be in a, in a difficult time or season and yet still knew how to rejoice, no matter what was going on around him or happening to him. And so, do you want to have that kind of joy today? Because I do, and I, I confess, you know, even like thinking about how to preach Philippians 4, right? I'm going, man, I'm really bad at this joy thing. <laughs> this rejoicing always thing. Like, I know, like, there's some people in life, like, that I've met that I'm like, joy always seems to, like, bleed from them. Like, you could cut them in any way, and they're, they're just bleeding joy. And you're just like, how is that possible? You can't, you can't bleed joy. <laughs> but they do. You know, they just radiate it. Um, and so, so Paul wants us to learn joy like that. Um, how the gospel frees us from our anxieties, 
so we can rejoice always. How the gospel can deliver us from that vice grip that something like anxiety or fear has over us and and can turn us into a people who bleed joy like that. Um, And so I want us to think about three things this morning. Uh, The reason of rejoicing, the response of rejoicing, and the result of rejoicing. So reason, uh, response, and result. Uh, So the reason of rejoicing. Rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Man, that's an impossible command for us to hear. It sounds like that song. Sorry, Yolanda. (laughs) It sounds like that song by uh, Bobby McFerrin. Uh, Don't worry. Be happy. Right? And you're going, man, rejoice always. I have to always rejoice. Like, what an empty command. But... But the text doesn't say rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Does it? We're not to just clap our hands just because or, or smile away. Don't worry, be happy just because, right? There's, there's a reason for this. How does, it, how does verse 4 read? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so, I mean, what would seem like this impossible command, rejoice always, always have joy, always be happy, <laughs> which is like just crushing, <laughs> Thinking about that, how do I have that? It's met with the God who makes the impossible possible. That the reason that we're commanded to rejoice always is because God himself is the object of our rejoicing. That Jesus is the reason, not for the season, but he's the reason for our, our, our changed heart and our changed mood and our changed posture while living in this world. That we can have joy. He's the very source, the secure ground. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So it's almost the end of the year, and um, that means that like all the how-to lists are upon us, right? <laughs> all the to-do lists. Be a, I'm going to be a better me this year in 2019. Um, I'm going to be a happier you, happier me. Uh, all that stuff's coming around, right? And, and what do all of these lists and what do people always find happiness in? Let's, let's just brainstorm really quick. So what are some of the things that you find every year as the new year rolls around? What are some of the things? Weight loss. Weight loss. Wow, two people said that one. <laughs> so that's a number one for a listicle right there. Uh, what else? Anything? Stay healthy. Shopping. Shopping. Okay. Shopping. Discount shopping after Christmas. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's, those are good ones. Um, you know, go outdoors more, walk more, uh, do some sprints. <laughs> so that's exercise. Um, go, uh, go spend time with your kids. Play with your kids. Play like a kid. Right? You don't have kids. Play like a kid. Right? That's, that'll make a list. Guarantee it. Look for that. Um, you know, all these different things. Travel more. Go see the world. Um, all of those things, right? Sleep more. We said exercise. And if we take any one of those things, though, on that list, uh, let's take uh, traveling more, for example, right? Uh, rejoice in the fact that I'm going to travel more in 2019. Again, I will say, now I'm going to rejoice, right? Because I'm going to travel more. Uh, what's wrong with believing travel is going to be a reliable source of our joy? What's wrong with that? 
that it can be constant joy. Well, what if I can no longer travel anymore? What if um, I budget and it just doesn't make the cut to go to Paris this year or wherever it is? What if um, I can't move as much as I used to? What if I can't um, explore very far? What if I have obligations, maybe work or family, that kind of now are getting in the way and creeping in on the fact that I want to travel more? And now I can't. And so now I'm learning, I'm, I'm starting to resent work or family or X in my life because I can't now do the very thing that was supposed to bring me the rejoicing, right? That was supposed to make me happier in 2019. So we could take any, any one of those things on this list. We could substitute one for, for another or add to that list and pile on six things or ten things or 25 new things to do in the new year or 35 things to do, right? And as, as big as that list can get, until we replace any and all of those things with the Lord himself, the creator of all of those things, good things even, we'll never be able to learn to rejoice always. But if we find joy in the Lord, nothing, not anyone, not anything, nobody can take that joy away from us. Not ever. And that's because joy is only to be found centered in the Lord. Um, it's, a, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron in that way to meet a joyless Christian. Um, it should be anyways in that sense. Because a Christian is someone who is united to Jesus the Lord, the source of all joy and hope and comfort and love and peace. And so, um, ever have a friend who got married? And um, they got married, right? And then you noticed over the years, they kind of changed a little bit, right? And what happens is they normally tend to take on some of the attributes or characteristics or aspects of their spouse, right? So, uh, for example, uh, when I got married... Um, I did not care at all about folding towels, ever, okay? You can bet that if you come over to my house now, those towels are going to be folded. I'm going to make sure it's there. Like, can't, don't want to just throw it up on the counter. It's got to be folded, set on the counter, right? I've taken on qualities that Gina has, and Gina's done the same thing with me, and that, that, that kind of thing happens, right? So, so I've changed in Gina-like ways, and she's changed in Nick-like ways for better and worse, <laughs> Right, um, uh, and I, there's kind of a, a, a parallel there that the same is true for the Christian. That a Christian will rejoice and have joy because we are married to Jesus. Right, we 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 are united to the Lord as our as our source, as our reason for joy. Um, of course, it's possible for a Christian to have days or seasons where we lack in joy. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, we don't, or we haven't had much um, reflection and, 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 and thought on how the gospel itself um, changes not only our outlook on life, but pretty much every aspect of our lives. And so we don't, we don't really see how some of that fits together, or maybe we forgot what it's like. Um, we've been isolated for so long that we've kind of grown cold and indifferent around others. Uh, maybe we haven't been in, uh, participating in the life of the church. Uh, we have fewer reasons to even remember what difference the gospel makes at all. Uh, maybe we've been caught up in some uh, besetting sin that has kind of been stifling our joy, and we need to repent of it, ask God for forgiveness. 
Um, but I think all of, all of this uh, should cause us to pause and to really reflect, you know, do I have joy right now? And where am I finding my joy? Where is my joy seated? Um, am I trusting in the Lord today? And uh, this command is a, is a present command. Rejoice always. That means right now. So right now, Nick, are you full of joy? Am I full of joy? Are you happy in the Lord on a good day? And are you happy in the Lord on a bad day? Um, maybe some of you remember, um, it was about two years ago now, um, the Saturate Conference with Jeff Vanderstelt, um, or even after, like, post-conference, uh, Bob was going around sharing a little story. Uh, maybe some of you remember it. Um, it was about a, a, a guy who said it was a good day if he didn't smoke. It was a bad day if he did. Anybody remember that story? A couple people, right? Good day if I did, bad day if I don't. Um, but the gospel, you know, trusting the Lord, it means that if I messed up and I smoked and had a bad day, it was still a good day because of Jesus, right? And if I had a good day and I didn't smoke, it's still a good day not because of me, but because of Jesus. We can rejoice always in the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the reason we can rejoice always. So the response, let's look at the response of joy, rejoicing. Uh, verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Um, if you want to, um, I don't know if you have a pencil or, or if maybe you get weirded out by marking your Bible, but if you do mark your Bibles and you're, not, you're okay with that, um, or just you could under, underline the Lord is at hand or, or circle it and just be like Advent. Just like that's, that's, that's how this relates to Advent right now. Okay, but we'll put that aside for, for now. Um, Paul's saying, not only are you and I commanded to rejoice always, but we're to let this joy now be made known to others around us, that, that joy should be radiating, emanating in our lives, to our families, immediate and extended, uh, to uh, our friends and coworkers and colleagues and bosses and, and customers or clients, colleagues, right, in every aspect of our lives. That, that others should visibly and tangi- tangibly notice the difference the gospel makes in our lives. And what exactly would that look like practically, though? How would that look? Um, I think, like, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, right? Reasonableness is not the best word. It's not a good word, uh, not a good translation, because it kind of makes us feel like, well, let's say, put it like this. Who doesn't want to be a reasonable person, right? Like nobody's like I'm like nobody's like I'm an unreasonable person. That's just who I am, you know. It's like no, like everybody's like no, I make sense, right? Like <laughs> I'm a reasonable guy or I'm a reasonable gal. Like I mean, nobody's like unreasonable intentionally. So that is just kind of a weird translation. So um, like if I'm not in another realm, basically, right? I, I'm, I'm a normal person. I'm a reasonable guy. Um, so, so other translations have the word, um, older ones have the word forbearance, which means uh, yielding or, or uh, gentle or um, kind. And that's, that's a, a word that described a, a temperate, a moderate, a, an open, a relaxed person. So the Apostle James, he uses this word in James chapter 3, verse 17. Um, and there it's interesting because even though here, right, in, in Philippians... The ESV doesn't use the word gentleness. It says reasonableness. 
Um, but in James, it translates it as gentle. <laughs> so, cool. So they got it right there. Um, but the, so, so, so James 3 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so, I mean, if we want to know what gentleness, um, you know, being made known to others, what that would look like, we should look to the Jesus, the Christ recorded in the Gospels, who Paul followed and modeled. And um, in, in 2 Corinthians, you know, says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, he was following Jesus um, in his own posture towards others. And so we have to, we have to look at what, what, would, what, what Jesus looked like. So gentleness, what, what does that look like? Gentleness perfectly described Jesus who, when a, a woman had anointed his head with very expensive oil and was pretty much chewed out universally by everybody else around them, Jesus' response to that woman, right? First of all, his, his response to those critics is leave her alone. And then he turns to the woman and he says, um, you know, he basically says, you know, she's done a a beautiful thing for me. She's done what she could, Mark 14. Gentleness perfectly describes Jesus who listened to and understood his disciples their greatest fears in in their dark hour and, and took time to comfort them, saying, let not your hearts be troubled. I will, I will not leave you as orphans in this world. John 14. Gentleness perfectly describes Jesus who, after preaching the best sermons probably ever to crowds of people, 5,000 and and other groups, decides to to prepare for them not just spiritual food, but now material, real food to eat, bread and fish, a big feast, so that they wouldn't be physically hungry too. Gentleness perfectly describes the Jesus who had all the power of heaven on earth, could have cast down a legion of angels to stop what was happening. And instead forbearingly says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Gentleness perfectly describes the Jesus who, as he hung on the cross, was bleeding out for the forgiveness of sins, suffering and dying for the kind of people who crucified him and were hanging right next to him on two crosses looked after his mother Mary by charging one of the disciples, John, with caring for his mother after his death. Gentle and kind. He says, woman, behold your son, and gave her an adopted son in exchange for him (laughs) so he could do the mission that he was tasked with. Gentleness perfectly describes Jesus. And so if you're in the Lord Jesus... Through faith alone, that means more like Jesus is what God is making you into day by day. More gentle like Jesus. You might be thinking that's not that practical. Uh, Be like Jesus, great. Because I'm a sinner. uh, And I'm not like Jesus at all when I look at my past week or this morning. And you're right. You're not yet like Jesus fully. Like me, you're a work in progress. But God promises in his gospel to make us more like Jesus, and he actually calls us sons and daughters. And so how can we live in the way 
that makes sure that this, this new way of life becomes our response. Paul gives us two reasons with the statement, the Lord's at hand, meaning the Lord is near. And uh, there are two ways that we could take that. Uh, one way uh, thinks of the Lord at hand, right? The Lord is near uh, in terms of space and the other in terms of time. So um, the first way is that, you know, spatially the Lord is near, right? It means the Lord is a comforter. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is, is close to the downcast, right? Tons of scriptures to go with that. Um, so in other words, God is near to his people. He hears our cries. He hears our fears, our anxieties, and he, he draws near to us. Another way to take that phrase is uh, in terms of, of time. It's like what we were talking about last week, that, that, that God is coming, right? So the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. That means that God is on his way. Second coming. God is coming to save and to judge. And um, we don't have to pick and choose between these two because both of these statements are true throughout the whole Bible. God is near to the downcast and God is coming, right? So we hold those two things together. And the Advent message of God coming means that for those who trust in Jesus, God is coming to draw near not in judgment but in grace. The God who, instead of bringing his swift hand of justice is coming to deliver what we don't expect, what we don't deserve. And that's his generous hand of mercy. And a very practical way in which all of that applies is found in this next verse, in in verse 6, how it applies to our daily experience, our daily life. Paul brings up something many of us face right now, probably some of us have experienced all week, or at least once in this past week, and that something's anxiety. Um, that word anxiety means that we're full of care. Maybe a good way to put it is it's that experience of possibly caring too much. It's that gnawing, clawing feeling uh, that you get that disrupts your peace of mind, that destroys our joy, that disturbs our lives in ways that that make us feel really heavy and, and burdened and taxed and, and kind of stuck. Um, before I go any further on, on kind of explaining this, this verse and, and, and continuing on, I want to just stop and say a couple things. Uh, first, uh, a couple things about anxiety. First, anxiety is a normal reaction that can happen to anyone. Um, so we wouldn't be human if we didn't get anxious in response to something that happens in our lives um, that, that might worry us, that might unsettle or disturb us. And so to get anxious about someone or something reveals that we care a lot about that someone or something, right? So in that sense, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, if you suffer from anxiety, that was the second thing I wanted to point out. If you suffer from anxiety, um, in no way take what I'm about to say as meaning that um, you shouldn't try to seek out an entirely holistic treatment plan in dealing with anxiety. Um, so I'm not saying that. Uh, what I want to focus on is the root and the heart issue surrounding anxiety. Um, not the biochemical or other areas that affect us simply because we have bodies that, because of the fall, don't work properly all the time. Um, sometimes our body need all the help. Our bodies need all the help that we can get, right? Right. Um, 
the third thing I want to mention, uh, anxiety is not something that can easily or quickly be fixed. Um, there's no quick remedy. Uh, the, the worst possible advice you could say to somebody who says, hey, I'm having some problems here with anxiety, the worst thing you can say is you, you can tell them to stop worrying, right? Stop being anxious. <laughs> and then just, like, walk away, right? That would be the absolute most devastating thing you could do. Um, because a person can't stop being anxious any more than uh, a football player who's just been laid out on the field, right, hit so hard that he can't get up, uh, could easily just get back up again, right? Just get up, get up off, off the field, right? No, like typically what happens is, you, you know, the medics and everything, everybody comes out and you have to get, the guy has to get wheeled, removed physically off the field, right, before he can actually stand up because the problem is far, far more severe. The problem is far more worse, something out of his own hands. And so the thing about anxiety is we don't choose to be anxious. Um, anxiety might, might come upon us. It could be because of good reasons, like a death in the family, job loss, difficult circumstances, a lot of pressure. Uh, but it could also be because of no clear reason. I might have no reason at all when I look around my, my world <laughs> to be that anxious. I know I shouldn't be. I know I have nothing to worry about right now. I've, but I feel over, overcome and overwhelmed. I might wake up in the middle of the night with my chest pounding, <laughs> you know, <sighs> just feeling overcome, struck down like that football player on the field, laid out. So anxiety is not always a choice, whether circumstances shape it or feelings do, sometimes it just happens. And so, so we might not be able to control those moments when they happen, of feeling anxious, or those seasons maybe, a long stretch of time where I felt anxious. But maybe we, what we can do is begin to see how the gospel begins to enter that space of our anxiety and can actually free us in some ways from that anxiety. Now hear me, I'm not telling you to stop worrying. I'm not telling you to um, quit being anxious. I'm not even saying just trust God or, or condemning you by saying... Uh, you're not trusting God enough, and that's why you suffer from this. I'm not saying that. That's not the message today. Um, those might be the cliches that we say to each other to try to provide some comfort, but those, that's not what's going on here. And look at how Paul, how Paul phrases this. He says, verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Reading that, you might want to just stop and throw the Bible away because you're going, wait. <laughs> what? Here we go again, you know, stop being anxious. You're just like my friend, my, my buddy who I just was at saying, I'm pretty anxious right now. And you, and you just told me that. But he goes on, he says, but. See, it's not a simple stop worrying. That part's true. It does need to be said. It does need to stop, but something else must start in place of the stopping. And so, I mean, there's hope for the anxious person. There's hope for the person who is filled with anxiety. What's Paul's answer that he gives us? He says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's how he finishes that statement. I mean, this, this, this teaching reflects the words of Jesus when he was on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. If not, don't worry about it. I'm going to read it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The Lord who's near, coming soon and close to us, is the one who's in control of all things. What anxiety does is it kind of cripples us into um, creating a distraction in our lives. Um, Pastor uh, Tim Keller once labeled our culture as having attention deficit disorder. Media colleges, they've labeled um, again and again uh, our, our time, our, our age, our, our culture, right, as, as a, a kind of culture that distracts ourselves to death. We're just so consumed by entertainment and, and, and um, you know, typing on our iPhones and gadgets and Alexas and all that other stuff, right, all the, all the different ways. Um, the, the internal distractedness that we have that many of us experience is the enemy of peace. It's a lack of focus, a lack of direction to what really matters that, that takes us deeper into ourselves. Paul calls us not to look within, of, within ourselves, but to look without, to look outside of ourselves. Not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in and look at God. The best way to overcome being anxious about anything is to pray about everything. The best way to stop worrying about anything is to start praying about everything. And so I'm talking about prayer, which is what Paul's talking about here. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's, it's talking to God, responding from his word. Prosuchomai is the, the Greek word that's used here for the English word that we get pray, right? The pros prefix to that gives, us, gives this word a directed sense. It literally means to pray toward, to pray toward. Sometimes people say, I believe in the power of prayer. You ever heard that one? I believe in the power of prayer. Um, it might be a bumper sticker now, I don't know. It's, you see it a lot. Um, and, and I get the sentiment, and I'm glad people are praying. So don't get me, that's, that's awesome. Keep praying, like, do it. <laughs> but, um, but thinking about that, right, um, the power of prayer. I think it's revealing in that it tells us where we're placing our trust. Like it's the fact that I'm praying or the fact that my friend over here is praying that is, is what's doing the work that's making this effective. But in reality, there's no power in prayer itself, right? The power comes from the God to whom and through whom prayers are made and directed towards. And so the act of prayer itself propels us to look up to God, not at ourselves, to look out, not within. In the presence of God, that's where our fears and our anxieties can actually dissipate and dissolve. At least they can start to. Uh, this doesn't mean that prayer is going to cure all worry. It's not a magic trick. But what it does mean is that we fare far better in this life for having gone to the Lord, taking it to the Lord in prayer, than if we don't. It does mean that in God's own timing, he may help us and have us overcome our worst nightmares or our daily battles. Anxiety doesn't go away because the Philippians, um, because they had no stressors in this life, right? They had no uh, children or, <laughs> or no um, heavy workload or, or deadlines or the kind of boss that I have. 
you know, or all those other things that, that drive us nuts and make us have increased levels of anxiety. They had all those things. They had all those problems, like Paul. And the call is to trust in the Lord because the Lord is with us in our anxieties. The Lord is on our side because he's fighting our battles. God is greater than our greatest problem, our greatest concern, our greatest anxiety or fear. And prayer is the means God's given us and that he actively uses to accomplish that lifting of worry, that freeing of anxiety. Um, So you might not feel this way right now uh, if you're someone who has maybe just a sliver of anxiety right now or a lot. You may not feel this way. But let me encourage you to start thinking of anxiety, the anxiety that you deal with, as a blessing. It's a blessing. Think of it as a precious little gift from God if you have to fight against anxiety. Why might I say that? Because each time that you engage in that battle, you get the chance to cast your cares onto the Lord because he cares for you. Each time you have to wrestle with it, the fact that you have anxiety is another opportunity to go running back to God with whatever it is that troubles you. It's an invitation from the Lord to come close to him. Prayer can be the way that anxiety, that nagging, annoying, even terrible feeling can become a means of grace in your life, a means by which you're drawn closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who cares for the brokenhearted. So finally, really quickly, the result of rejoicing. What does Paul say? Verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To this sort of anxiety that Paul brings up, he says, If you trust in God, God promises to give you peace. He promises to provide you with a garrison, a, a fierce protection in heart and mind against your fears and your worries and your concerns. That God will guard you like the Philippian jailer once guarded Paul and Silas. Only this God, he guards us to set us free. And in him we find that freedom. Let's pray. Father, give us lives that live and that breathe and that move in, in constant reliance and conversation with you. Prayer is that antidote to anxiety. Prayer is your prescription for a life that lacks what we need from you. Prayer is medicine and it's a balm for a troubled, a worrisome life. Help us to trust and to rest confidently each day in you. Let us find peace and all security in you and and in you alone. Help us to see that that your drawing near to us means that all of our fears and our worries, that they have an expiration date, that they won't last forever. And because of Advent, because of your coming, one day soon you're going to do away with all fears and tears and replace all of that with peace and love and the fullness of joy. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.